You're listening to Make Your Way, Season 3, Episode 6. Welcome to Make Your Way, where we explore what it means to work and create on your own terms. Along with every episode, we post show notes with links to resources mentioned in the episode and a full transcript. You can find these materials at katielinder.work slash podcasts. Hey, Katie, how are you today? I'm good, Sarah. How are you? Oh, pretty good. It's uh, we're recording here at the end of May in in uh, you know in our world, and uh, it decided to turn really really hot here in Minnesota. It's like going to be ninety five degrees today. We're going to be the hottest place in the whole country. I just I don't understand where I live, <laughs> but other than that, I'm good. Well, if people are following <laughs> along with all the seasons of Academic Egg, we've gone from snowblower to um, like living on the surface of the sun. Yeah, so you're getting you're getting it quite a bit. At, at some point, we'll probably record when it's like pouring out rain and windy on my end in the Pacific Northwest, but so far I'm way more mild than you are. (laughs) Well, I am really excited today to dig into talking about systems for uh, content creation. So when we're talking about how we build our things, how we make our things, um, we obviously, you know, can't necessarily hold all of it in our heads all the time. And so we sometimes need systems for figuring out what's been done, what needs to get done, how to move things forward. And so I'm really curious, Katie, um, with your course launch and all of that sort of stuff that you've been diving into recently, what have been some of your systems that you've used um, to make content creation a lot easier? So this is something that got to be definitely a thing for me with this particular product because it is so big and there's so much content. And I've kind of talked, I think, on previous episodes about Um, there's like 85 plus videos. There was the workbook, which was over hundred pages that were all kind of designed independently using Canva. Um, and then of course the workbook is aligned with the videos, there's supplementary resources. And then as I was starting to build the product, I was also trying to keep track of like, who did I want to talk to about the product and all of that, which we'll get into a little bit more in marketing. But especially the video part was like really freaking me out from the beginning because I knew how many there were going to be. And I knew that I was going to have to script them, create slide decks for them, record them, edit them, upload them, make sure the transcript was up. You know, there's just so many steps. So I stumbled upon this thing (laughs) that I started to use, and I actually heard about it through Wandering Aimfully, which I've talked about previously on the show. We can link to it in the show notes. Um, But they were using a product called Airtable, which is basically a kind of spreadsheet creation. It's almost like a relational database. It can act like one and it's cloud-based. And I I saw it and it has this option of like creating checkboxes and doing some color coding stuff. And you can kind of sort the data in lots of different ways. And if you were like a Power Excel user, you could probably do something very similar, but I am not a Power Excel user. And Airtable had a really quick learning curve. So what I ended up doing was creating different tables for the video creation and the workbook creation that allowed me to kind of check off the different steps as I went through them. And something else we can talk about too is kind of how I I ended up batching things. Like I I would try to do like one step completely before I moved on to the next one. So Mm -hmm. I wasn't like taking one video at, at a time and like scripting it and then recording it and then editing it and then uploading it. Like I was scripting all the videos and then I was doing slide decks for all the videos. So I could kind of get into a little bit of a rhythm. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I feel like Airtable kind of saved my life because I could not hold it all in my brain for this one. 
<laughs> well, I have since started using it for a similar sort of bigger client project that I'm working on. And yeah, it's pretty magical because you can just like scan down and be like, okay, where are my checkboxes? What do I need to work on next? It's yeah, it's pretty great. So I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about um, the, the process of figuring out what those steps are in your system. So um, you know, you mentioned for videos, for example, you have to script them and then you have to film them and then there's the transcripts and, and all of that. So some of that is fairly intuitive, but were there parts of this that uh, kind of came up as you were creating that you were like, oh, this is a whole other step I have to add? Uh, how did you work with that? Well, I think the workbook was definitely like that. I mean, the videos I'd kind of done before, and so I knew mm -hmm. generally what I wanted to do. And and in particular, and we talked about this in a previous episode, I knew I wanted to script them because it saves me the step of transcribing later on, and I don't really like recording off the cuff for stuff like this. So um, that the videos were a little bit more of a known quantity, although the amount of them was definitely a little bit overwhelming. And um, actually, as we record this, I, this is the long weekend uh, for Memorial Day, and I'm about to enter into like a video editing frenzy where I will be editing like uh, 85 videos this weekend because <laughs> um, the course is actually launching June 1 as we record this. So I have like all this final prep to do and it's like staring me in the face. But um, the workbook part, because I had never done the print workbook, that was different because I had to design each page and then I had to kind of um, align it with what I was talking about in the videos to make sure. And I ended up adding a lot of pages in the workbook because of that, because I would kind of do an extra step. I mean, anyone who's done course design knows that this is kind of the challenge is like aligning what students are doing like outside of class with what they're hearing from you in class. Mm -hmm. So there was like a constant going back and forth. And at first I had all of this on one table and then I was like, the workbook needs its own table um, so that I can kind of really track this. But especially when I got down into like copy editing the workbook and getting the prototype printed, I had to add page numbers like manually into the workbook at one point. And so just like tracking to make sure every page got what it needed. Mm -hmm. And that I had checked every section and like cross-checked every section. And I think anytime you're working with a larger project, whether it be a course or a book or something like that, I mean, I'm such a systems person. I mean, I just, I have to have a way of, of tracking to make sure that I'm kind of getting everything done. But also it, it really ends up motivating me because mm. when you have all these things, like seeing the boxes getting checked I really needed that. I mean, especially when I was <laughs> scripting like 85 scripts and like, oh I was like, when is this going to be over? And I felt like it was one of those things where like, you know, when you're eating like a big plate of Chinese and like, you're not even making a dent and you've been eating it for like <laughs> half an hour and it's like, nothing is happening. I mean, for, there was a certain point with this course where it felt like that. And I was just like, every time I would like finish a script, like four more would replace it because I've realized I needed like extra videos. <laughs> and I mean, it just went on and on. And finally, I got to a point, you know, like with Airtable, I could start to see the progress. And I was like, mm -hmm. okay, this is not like there is a light at the end of this tunnel. And I mean, I can't remember if I've mentioned on a previous episode, but when I first envisioned this course, I thought it was going to take me like a year to do. Mm. And I've done it in like two months. So <laughs> there it's, it's, but it's been a ton of work. I mean, it's not, mm -hmm. it could have taken a year. I mean, but I just decided to like slam it and do it. So yeah, I mean, the motivational factor for me was huge when it yeah. came to Airtable. And I know your project that you were designing was 
smaller in scale than what mm-hmm. I'm describing here. But I mean, do you have that? I mean, is that what, now that you're using Airtable for this other project you're working on, mm-hmm. is it motivational for you or are you just using it more for organization purposes? Uh, it, it's definitely got a motivation aspect to it. Uh, and I would say one of the, one of my favorite features is that at the, like at each header row, you can, if you're using checkboxes, you can like tell it to, to indicate how, like what percentage complete you are right. <laughs> of you can, all like, the things in this, in this category. Yeah. yeah. And so that's really fun to be like, Hey, I'm like 75% of the way there. Woo. Go me, you know? <laughs> so, uh, even, even just sort of that little like cheerleading element of just being able to very quickly see how far you've already come. Like, even if you're still feeling like there's a ton of work to do here, um, yeah, being able to see the check boxes and, and check the boxes is definitely a motivator for me as well. I'm, I'm definitely one of those, like, sometimes I will write things on my to-do list that I just did just so that I can cross them off. <laughs> right. Well, and I was just thinking about this last night. Okay. I have to say, I have to say this because I was working on these slide decks. I have 16 left to go. I mean, you, you uh-huh. all are hearing about this like in real time and I have probably designed, I mean, at least 85 of these slide decks. I don't even know how many videos I have anymore. And one of the people who pre-purchased the course actually emailed me and was like, how many minutes, like, can you like break down the number of minutes that people are going to need to like watch the videos and do the work? And I was like, honestly, I haven't even calculated it yet. Like, I have no idea. (laughs) But last night I was looking at these slide decks and I've, the way I've organized it in Airtable is just by section, but some of the sections have multiple videos. And Mm -hmm. I haven't like said every single video that's in there. I've just said like, for example, here's the section on quantitative article examples. And there's like four videos for each of these sections where I have examples of different methodologies. So like four sections is actually 16 slide decks, which is what I have left. And part of me last night was like, I feel like I need to add a line for every single one in Airtable just so I can check it off because like (laughs) it's, it takes me four slide decks to be able to check off one thing and it just feels like too much. So, but I, (laughs) I, I held myself back and I was like, you know what? You really don't need to do that. You're so close to being done. I mean, it's literally these four sections left that I have to complete. And then the slide decks are all finished. But (laughs) I am totally that person who like writes things down. So just check them off. Yep. Yep. Sometimes you need it. This is a record. Sometimes you just need that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for so for my product, I am. um, Yeah, like you said, it's a much, much smaller thing. So I'm not using Airtable for that uh, because there wasn't as much stuff that I needed to kind of track along the way. But um, longtime listeners of the podcast will not be surprised to hear that with with my approach to this, there was a little bit of uh, building the ship as we fly it kind of situation. Um, I'm shocked. <laughs> you're shocked, to, I'm really, shocked. To, to hear this. Um, but a lot of so I used Canva a lot um, in creating, especially the handouts. We talked in the last episode um, about video creation. So if you're interested in the video portion of things, um, you can go back and listen to that episode. I, I dive, dive into that process quite a bit there. Um, but we have a bunch of accompanying handouts and discussion guides and um, little role play scenarios and those sorts of things that needed to be packaged along with the videos. And so for me, the system was more figuring out which, um, figuring out like how many things do we want to go with each video. So that was sort of an initial thing. Um, and that was really a discussion with Tracy as well, my, my collaborator on this, um, about what do we want people to be able to do with the videos. Um, and so we decided on a, on a one-page discussion guide that just has some general questions. So if people are using this in a staff training, they can... Um, they can pull it in and, and watch the video and then just have some staff discussions um, about different aspects of the videos and, and how they might apply it to their, their work more specifically. Then we also um, included a, a one page, so front and back side, uh, handout that was um, 
really kind of uh, diving a little deeper on some of the strategies and things that we highlight in the video. So for example, um, we have a video that's all about acting out. So when a child acts out and, you know, threatens to throw a block at you, that sort of thing, um, what do you do in that situation? And so this handout that's accompanying uh, this is really focused on, you know, what's behind the acting out behaviors, what, you know, what does science tell us, but then also what do you do? What are the things that you can say in the moment? What are strategies that you can use? What should you be thinking about how it's um, manifesting in your own body? You know, sometimes we feel threatened when people are threatening to throw blocks at us. Like that's that's a natural response. And so how do you work through that and move forward? So we wanted to make that handout, um, but we wanted it to be small, right? We, there's so many um, kinds of course materials and handouts and things that are like 20 page PDFs online, right? And we wanted it to be short and sweet and to the point. plus page that I hand out with my course. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> there is a time and place for that. This was not what we were we were hoping for for this. So we wanted to make sure it was um, concise and to the point. And then we also have um, some role play scenarios, which are just sort of little um, vignettes that uh, people can kind of take and try out and practice the strategies that they're learning uh, kind of in real time. And then uh, we had one handout that was just sort of a general what is trauma? What is stress? You know, what is what does that mean? Um, to go with it as well, sort of as an introduction into the whole topic. So it was a small pack of handouts, but we also wanted each um, each like section f that was related to each video to be titled the same. So at one point there was this whole process of like making sure that we said acting out on everything instead of like aggression or, you know, using a different kind of word or phrasing. Right, so we wanted to make sure there was piece. consistency was, was key. And then we also wanted... So all the discussion guides across all three videos, we wanted those to look the same so that it's clear that this is the discussion guide. And then, you know, the handouts needed to look very, very similar. And so a lot of that was just sort of thinking through the, the uh, consistency and then how to build that within Canva. And so what I ended up doing was um, kind of working with Tracy to, to uh, develop the content a little bit. And she, you know, was, was great about just like sharing okay, here's the strategy you use. And I would kind of take her lingo and um, put it into this, into a more sort of visually uh, interesting, you know, handout in Canva. And I created one of kind of each of the, of the types of handout and then, you know, made sure I liked what that looked like and then basically reproduced it and changed the, the text and changed the content. So it, that was really nice because then I didn't feel like I was having to recreate the wheel every single time. And I knew kind of from doing it once all the way through, I knew what I wanted the rest to look like. Um, but I didn't necessarily do, you know, <laughs> all of the acting out all at one time. Um, so I, I kind of jumped around a little bit with that. But in terms of each type of handout, I wanted to make sure that they were consistent across. And so, you know, I would build one and be like, okay, this is good. And then, you know, build the other two from there. So um, not exactly a super coherent system, but at least, you know, wanted to keep the consistency um, throughout the throughout the content. So I have a question kind of getting back to the idea of batching. So you have these three discrete modules, right, that mm -hmm. you're creating, and they each have handouts, they each have the video. Were you kind of doing all of them at the same time? Or were you like, once you had the video for everything, were you like do, working on one and you would do like the handouts in the video? And or I mean, how did that work for you? How were you kind of juggling all of it? Yeah, I was kind of working on all at once. I think the videos were done before 
I was really diving into the handouts. I'm trying to remember. It's all kind of a blur. <laughs> um, but, but I think the videos were mostly complete. We at least knew the, what they were going to look like and, and the format of them. Um, and so then it was a matter of figuring out again how many handouts and what, what, what do we want the handouts to focus on. But I was definitely working on like the, you know, acting out handout and the, you know, shutting down videos discussion guide simultaneously, you know, there was there was a certain amount of that that was happening. Um, where because I was really kind of developing this brand as I was going to and so I was trying to figure out I want the look and feel to be consistent, but different enough that you can tell that they're different things, but they're also related. And so there was a lot of like playing around in Canva, um, looking at like some of the visual stuff and figuring out, okay, how do I want this to look? What do I want this to feel like when somebody, you know, downloads it and, and uses it. And so I was definitely doing things simultaneously, but it was it, it was sort of, I was doing sort of the like template creation simultaneously, I guess. Um, and then from there, once I had those templates, it was like, okay, now I got to, you know, reproduce this a couple times. Okay. So another question I have is I think when people think about creating content, sometimes they think about like minimum viable product and mm. like, how did you, and we may have addressed this a little bit, I think like in an earlier episode, but I think it comes back to systems for content creation too, because especially when you're doing a lot of work, I mean, there's definitely a, um, attraction to the idea of like cutting corners a little bit and and like mm -hmm. what do I really need to do here in terms of quality to you know like basically can the user still get a good experience if I'm not doing like amazing um production quality right and right. I think about for example I, and I think I've mentioned this in the video part like I had originally planned to record in my podcast closet and then I was like, I'm not gonna be able to sit in there for hours. Like I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna do this at my desk instead. I might be sacrificing a tiny bit of audio quality, but I'm willing to do that to make myself not go crazy. So I guess my question is, as you're working on these different content pieces, how are you making that decision about level of quality? And mm. especially when you're working on multiple things at the same like you're kind of farming out, you know, mm -hmm. multiple um products that like, you know, for lack of better words, like an assembly line. Mm -hmm. um, which I think I might be doing a little bit more than you in terms of scale, but do you, do you have any of that as you're working on it with this particular project? Um, yeah, a little bit. I think the, the quality control piece for me is, uh, is really, a um, an element of sort of a, a gut check almost. Um, so I sort of use myself as like the gauge. And what I mean by that is if I saw this online, right, would I be interested in it? So if it's just a bunch of white handout Word documents, I'm going to be like, wow, this is not very professional quality, right? I'm not going to pay for that. But if I see that it ha it's, you know, more visually engaging, it has photos, it has different sections and the headers make sense. And, you know, it, that upping that level of professionalism um, to me as a consumer means that I'm way more likely to be interested in um, either downloading or purchasing or whatever. Um, and so f for me, that, that level... Um, is really about that question of, is this competitive with what else is out there? Is this adding to what else is out there in this particular market? And is it um, professional quality enough that somebody is likely to be impressed enough to want to buy it? <laughs> so I think those are some of the um, some of the basic metrics I use. I know that's not an exactly scientific way of, of describing it, but um, yeah, I think there are definitely parts of it that I could have gone way more gung-ho about the production value. Um, but some of it was also, 
a, a calculation of we're not selling this for very much. Right. We'll get into talking about pricing and packages uh, in the next episode. But for me, because the price is is what it is, you know, there are probably errors in it. <laughs> you know, I suspect there are somewhere. Uh, and so um, I, I'm kind of okay with that just because of, of the level at which it is. Now, if I were doing something like what you're doing, Katie, I think I would I would definitely be much more thoughtful about the production level and, and uh, the quality control and that sort of thing. So I'm curious to hear from you, what are the metrics or, or how are you gauging that um, within, within the course development? Well, and I think, um, so I, I want you to answer this question too. So I'll answer, but then I, I want to circle back to you about, are you building in like quality assurance into your systems? Um, mm. So that's something, I mean, do you want to address that first before we shift to me? Because that would might be uh, my sure. follow-up. Like, where is that in your systems? Um, so usually I will have, especially for handouts and stuff, um, I will have a colleague, um, review them. So in this case, it was Tracy that made the most sense Mm -hmm. as she was the collaborator on it. So I basically, she gave me a bunch of content. I, um, you know, edited it and tweaked it and put it into these handouts and things. And then I sent it back to her for review and she caught things that I hadn't seen because, you know, sometimes you can't see the forest for the trees when you're in the middle of it. And so, uh, so that I incorporated those edits um, and then moved forward. So most of those edits were um, in terms of text or content and less in terms of sort of style. Um, but, you know, I, I do like to have that uh, that level of vetting um, right. for, for my content. For videos, a similar sort of thing, I would have um, usually Tom, video producer, um, watch through and, and just say, okay, does this make sense? What's missing here? Um, and that sort of thing. So it, yeah, it's basically this sort of review process uh, whereby my reviewers are kind of looking for different things and looking at, at you know, content, but also um, consistency across the, the things. Um, and as, and like for videos, the sort of logical flow, does it make sense? Does it link together? Those kinds of things. So hmm. um, yes, I sort of have quality control, but it's it's mostly just in the form of um, review by by trusted collaborators. Yeah, but it does sound like you have it in your system, like it's it's natural. Like it's, it's not, you know, it's a step that you're kind of instinctually taking. Right. Right. So what about you? What's your process for quality control and all of that? Well, I think it's different based on the medium. So with the workbook for this project, I definitely model the quality control after the process of writing a book. Um, because Mm -hmm. I've just been recently going through that. I've just been proofing my most recent book and going through, you know, like redline edits and proofs. And so I ended up, um, doing so I would design the the workbook in Canva and obviously there's a level of kind of like iterative editing that's going on you know as I'm doing that and checking spacing and things like that and and I'm glad you mentioned kind of the copy editing piece versus the design elements because those are Mm. really different and and I had to kind of have a different eye and they take different levels of kind of detail orientedness to really pay attention to not just where things are on the page but how you're articulating them so with the workbook I ended up kind of I I really struggle to do um, like formal editing on a screen. Like I need to Mm. have a printed copy. So I ended up paying like $80 to print a prototype of this workbook (laughs) because when you buy them in bulk, you can get them down to about $12 a piece. But if you just buy one, you know, and I wasn't going to buy them in bulk when I hadn't like done the final editing. So I, I paid extra to do a prototype And then I use that prototype to do kind of a final edit of both the spacing and, you know, just like checking, um, adding in the the page numbers and doing an actual copy edit um, to make sure it was what I wanted. And I did have my partner 
um, my business partner and my life partner go through and do a copy edit as well. And he caught some things that I hadn't caught. So I, I did do that kind of extra round. Um, but I'm also kind of expecting that I'm going to get some feedback from people who are going through and mm-hmm. that I can go through and make the edits. But the challenging thing I think about this kind of editing is you're not just going into like a Word doc. I mean, mm-hmm. I have to go into Canva, make the edits there. And the way that Canva is set up, I have like different files for all the different worksheet pages, basically. Like they're not, they're not like grouped in a particular yeah. way, um, which if you're, if you know Canva, you kind of probably understand what I'm talking about. So I have to go into like each individual one, make the edits, re-download it as a PDF, swap it out with the PDF page that I already had in kind of my master document. So it's kind of time consuming. It's not like you can mm-hmm. just go into one document and make little edits. I mean, like it's, it's not like that. So um, the quality assurance process for for that was really just kind of um, iterative, but also like I had a step, I had basically a couple rounds of edits that I did with that workbook. Um, And I have put in now for a a full like uh, order. So that's actually arriving like within the next few days. I know I'm like a little (laughs) afraid, Um, (laughs) but we'll see how it turns out. Um, do you do you find that it's sort of like when you write a book and you get the the books back and you're like okay I can never read this because I will inevitably find the one error that's in here and and then I will just be like no why right well I mean with these I'm doing relatively small batches of printing um, okay. with this first round and we talked about this we were like how many do, of these do we actually need to have on hand. Mm-hmm. Because um, it takes a while to get them to me. I mean, like if I want to get kind of the most inexpensive um, bulk print, I can I you can get it like rushed to you within like ten days, or you can wait like three weeks and it's even cheaper. Like if you mm-hmm. give them more time. So mm-hmm. I would prefer to do that. Obviously, like I I don't feel like I need to feel rushed. So in this first batch, I think we ended up buying just like 50 because we had some pre-orders already in play. And then we wanted to have enough that if somebody bought the highest package, we could immediately send them the mm. amount that they needed. So, um, but yeah, I mean, we're, we're kind of deciding like how low do we let that inventory go because we've never yeah. had inventory of anything <laughs> we've had like this. Um, okay, so that's the workbooks. Um, but in terms of the videos, I feel like... There's several stages of quality. Um, so first of all, like this, sli- I do slide decks, so I don't do video creation like you do, Sarah, and we talked about this in a previous episode, but I am like checking the slide decks as I'm doing them. And then mm-hmm. as I am recording the audio, I'm like double checking what's in the script, you know, like, does this, is this coming out the way that I want? And sometimes I make small changes as I'm recording. And then when I'm putting the audio and the the visual together, I'm doing, again, another check on the audio and editing the audio as I go and checking the slides to make sure there's like no typos or whatever on the slides, which I also create in Canva. So if I have to make edits to those, it's kind of a pain. So mm-hmm. um, again, it's not just like a PowerPoint deck that you can go in and just like easily make changes to. So I'm also pretty careful when I'm creating it to make sure that it makes sense. Um, And on these particular slides, there's kind of a header that goes across um, each slide so that you you know you're in the right deck, like for that particular part of the the lesson in the workbook. So um, I need to make sure those headers are all, you know, correct and that I haven't like missed one and, you know, labeled it incorrectly or whatever it might be. Um, So I check that as I'm doing the editing, but I've gotten to a point, 
maybe I shouldn't admit this. I don't, you're probably like cringing um, that as I edit as I go. And then when I get to the end of the video, there, it's pretty rare that I will like go back and watch the entire video from front to back. Like, because <laughs> I know, aren't you cringing? Isn't it horrible? Um, but these videos are like two minutes long. Yeah, and as I'm going through, I'm checking my edits as I go through. And mm -hmm. depending on what the video is, like if it's a video trailer for something where I've where it's really complicated and I've like brought mm -hmm. in a bunch of stuff, then I will do that just mm -hmm. to make sure like the timing is right and whatever. But for these slide deck ones, it's very simple. Um, yeah. And it's just like, it's the image and then the transition and then another image. So as long as the timing is correct, there's not really anything that is a problem. And because I do the audio edits as I go, and I'm so used to audio editing from podcasting, I don't know, like, I just, I don't feel like I have to go back and watch everything from the very beginning and just like make sure everything is perfect. Um, so... I don't know. That probably makes me like a horrible. I mean, I'm an no, amateur. No, no. We, we're very clear on this. I'm an amateur compared to what you're doing. Um, I, no, I think that's that's totally fair, especially given the the complexity of the editing. Um, for me, I find I go back and watch it again just because I I like it, and I also like watching it and being like, yeah, that was a good edit. <laughs> like it's a little bit of self congratulatory <laughs> nonsense sometimes when I go back and watch it again. But I love that. Um, largely, it's because I love the thing I just created, and I'm like, I want to watch it again. This is cool. And inevitably, I'll find other things I need to tweak. But given given mine what are you're very talking simple. About, they're yeah. super simple. Mine are so super that, simple, yeah, and, and they're really just content delivery. So yeah. and and I've had enough experience. I mean, the the thing I will say though is when I do have my partner do video editing, because sometimes I will hand off certain things to him if I'm like really slammed and that might actually be happening this weekend when he does the edits I watch the entire thing and and like do a, a check basically a quality assurance mm -hmm. check to make sure that he did the right transitions when I wanted them that he was putting the slides in you know where they should be because sometimes it's not clear like he's he's working with like this is not his product. I mean, like right, he doesn't right. know this information. So he's very good, but every once in a while, like the timing will be off or whatever, and I'll have him go in and fix it. So for if I'm having someone else do it, then everything gets quality checked, like front to back. But when I'm right. doing it myself, I have a lot more confidence that it, it is what it needs to be. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I, yeah, I mean, I think, I feel like my quality assurance is very iterative and also very embedded, like mm -hmm. as I'm doing it. And- Go ahead. I was going to ask, how much do you think that that the, the fact that both of us do that is um, related to the fact that we come from the academic world where that is sort of like beat into you from day one? Well, I I mean, I, I'm thinking about that in response to that question. Kind of, I'm thinking about how I write books and I don't know, like I, I think some people don't do this this way. I mean, like, I mm -hmm. think about people who get, like, paralyzed when they're writing because they just edited mm -hmm. to death, like, in the moment. I don't do that. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, mm -hmm. I'm like, let's get the first draft out and then we can go back and fix it later. But I definitely do it this way. And maybe it's inefficient, but it feels efficient to me to be kind of combining these things and doing them at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, and then the last piece of quality assurance I wanted to make sure that I mentioned was obviously everything gets put into the course site itself. So there's also a round of checking the course site to make sure mm -hmm. that the links are all working, the videos are where they're supposed to be, everything has its transcript, it's linked to the supplementary materials, you know, like all of that. So once mm -hmm. once the the site is actually complete, I'll go back and go into the live site as like a student viewer and I'll click around and like make sure everything looks right. 
So that's a whole other set of quality. And I usually bring my partner into that too, because he's kind of seeing it fresh and he can Mm -hmm. say like, oh, the transcript's missing from this page or whatever. But I should say that the Airtable system that I put into place, like nothing should be missing. I mean, like Mm -hmm. I've like literally checked things off as I've done them. So there's a level of confidence that when I finally get to that kind of last stage of quality assurance, I'm not going to be constantly finding mistakes. Yeah. Like I should, that should not be the case. So one of the things that occurs to me in in hearing you talk about all this and also reflecting on my own process is that you and I are both very detail-oriented people, like to the max. (laughs) Uh, And I have, I certainly have lots of friends and colleagues who are not that way to the same extent. And so I'm wondering what suggestions you have for listeners who are maybe a little less like prone to make, you know, giant checklists and to do something like Airtable, um, but who want to make a, a quality product, like what would you recommend for somebody who's looking at doing a thing about that basic process of starting a system or of developing a, a way to make sure that you're getting your content creation done consistently? Okay, so this is the perfect question to ask me right now, because it's very tied to a keynote that I just wrote and and piloted with an institution like what, this past week. Um, okay, listeners, I swear I didn't know that. No, right. I mean, like, I was like, wow, that's like really aligned with what I've been thinking about. So I actually think that um, the detail orientedness part is not tied to some of the stuff we're talking about here, because mm. I think what we're talking about here is systems thinking, which I am like, I thrive in that. I mean, like I am Mm -hmm. a systems thinker for sure. The other thing that I think we're talking about is executive function, which is basically a level of control and self-discipline that allows us to do things that we don't necessarily want to do. And it's part of what makes me, what we've talked about in previous seasons, an upholder, what Gretchen Rubin calls an upholder, which I can hold myself accountable to getting things done. Um, And I think the combination of those two things, the executive function and the systems thinking, create this stuff like Airtable, where we're like, okay, we know how to self-motivate ourselves. We know how to organize the information and chunk it in a way that's going to make sense to us. Um, The detail-orientedness part, I have to tell you, I don't think that's necessarily always my strength. Hmm. And I think that especially when I've been in a project going back to the multi-potentialite business from our between episode. I get bored and I'm like, I don't want to do this. And and that's why I have my partner come in and and I have him do a final check because I'm like done with it. I don't want to, I don't want to do that anymore. Um, (laughs) But I also, even when I'm working on book projects, I have to really rev myself up to do the detail oriented part and to say like, you need to really focus like, and that's the executive function. So I think that because I have a skill set of executive function, it allows me to dive into the details when I need to. But I, and I think you can tell from this particular project, I'm more visionary in some mm-hmm. spaces where I, I want to look at the big picture. I want to think about how the product and the systems and the marketing and like all that's going to work together. And I want to kind of strategically plan all of that. It's actually more challenging sometimes for me to dig into the details. Hmm. So my my recommendation to listeners is to think about what are the areas of strength that you have, whether it be executive function, maybe it's, um, and and I actually go into like seven different areas in this new keynote that I designed, and it's around productivity and academic writing. But I talk about things like systems thinking, executive function, habit building, um, being flexible and agile, like what does it mean to have persistence and resilience? Like there's all these different skills that we typically don't talk about when it comes to productivity. And 
detail orientedness actually I think is a really good one to think about in terms of that versus vision and how you kind mm -hmm. of balance those things. So I guess I would say like look to your strengths if you know that there's an area of weakness that you have to see how mm -hmm. you can kind of mitigate it with something else that you're good at. But what do you think about that? I mean, yeah, I, I'm, I'm swirling a little bit over here because that's that's an interesting way to think about it because I've always considered myself more detail oriented, but I, I'm also a systems thinker, but I, I think I'm a different systems thinker than you are. Yeah, I don't I don't know exactly how to articulate it, but the way that at least that it, it seems to me is that you you generally have an, a, a pretty pretty sure idea of the end product or the or the thing that you're trying to get towards and then you can kind of unroll a system from there and, and unroll a, a path to that uh, that thing in a pretty coherent way. I'm more of like, hey, I want to go to those mountains that are over there in the distance. Those seem cool. Let's figure out a way to get there. <laughs> like, like right. hey, let's take a detour through this forest, right? right, like, right. Oh, that's not the, the most direct way, but this is more interesting. <laughs> so I kind of get pulled off course that way a little bit. But Well, and I think that's the relationship. So one of the other things I talk about, I'm literally like remembering this off the top of my head, these seven things in this talk that I mm -hmm. gave. One of them is strategic planning. So, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm obviously a strategic planner. I mean, that's, I think it's very clear. There are conversations that I'm thinking like three years ahead. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> what does this yeah. mean? You know, what does this product look like three years from now? And you're, you do that less. And so I think mm -hmm. that that can really impact how you think about systems. Because like mm -hmm. you said, you're building the plane as you're flying it. I'm not doing that necessarily. Yeah. Um, and right. I'm, I'm doing it in a more kind of strategic planning way. And both of them are working. I mean, that's yeah. the thing that I think is important for listeners to hear is like the way that you're doing it works just fine. The way that I'm doing mm -hmm. it is working for me. So you can kind of build it in whatever way you want. But these different right. skill sets function together in different ways. Yes. So yes. you may have less of the strategic planning and I have more of it. And so our systems look different because of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Well, and I think I have less strategic planning for myself and my own business than I do for clients. Like I get hired to come in and do systems thinking for people. <laughs> and so I want to emphasize that like I'm very good at that, especially if it's not my own stuff, but somehow in my own stuff it it makes it harder because right. it's more complex and it's, you know, that you're too close to it and that sort of thing, but um yeah, it's I, I love systems thinking. I love kind of problem solving um in a in a direction, um but I, I'm also maybe a little more likely to kind of pull in side adventures where it seems appropriate or um, other lines of thinking that are sort of outside a traditional sphere uh, of, of influence. So if I'm working with a client who does music, you know, I might bring in things I've learned from working with clients in the early childhood world, right? Those are, those are things that traditionally wouldn't necessarily go together, but it's applying those lessons in, in other ways. And I don't know, I, I feel like systems are, are complex, but also kind of consistent across different fields sometimes. Totally, so, totally. Yeah. Well, and it was interesting because when I piloted this talk, it was the first time I'd given it, I'd, um, I, I pitched it to someone and, and they were interested. And so I piloted it this past week. And one of the things that came out of it was, and it was basically like walking people through their own self-assessment of these seven skill sets as related to their academic uh, writing and publication pipelines. And what we found as we went through is people would say, I'm actually really good at strategic planning in other areas of my life, mm -hmm. but I have a hard time <laughs> applying it to academic writing and publication. Or I'm really good at habits when it comes to like wellness and exercise, but I'm right. not good at habits when it comes to writing. And so... That's the other piece of this is like, as you're thinking about your own systems, 
you may have systems in one area that you could kind of think about what would it mean if I translated this to my business? Mm -hmm. Like even if you have really good systems for your personal finances and you haven't applied them to your business finances, you know, like we don't always like make those translations. And I think that that's like, I don't know. It's just an interesting thing to think about. Yeah. I, I have nothing more to add on top of that. I think that was a great, a great like final point for the episode. Um, anything else you want to share, Katie? Well, I think our obvious resource for this episode, which I should be very clearly mention, is not sponsoring this episode, is Airtable. <laughs> hey! <laughs> because this is kind of a fun thing. And and I have had a lot of questions actually about this from people because I've been like posting on social that I'm using it. And mm-hmm. I would definitely say it's super easy to get started with. There is absolutely a free version up to a mm-hmm. certain number of like records that you're putting in. And they also have some templates that you can start out with if you're not quite sure how to build the table you want. So it's a pretty cool tool. And I think that it's something I'm also incorporating into my day job as well. So um, that would probably be the resource that I would give for this episode. Great. Yeah. So we'll we'll be sure to link to all of that in the show notes. Um, and uh, yeah, we're excited to talk a little bit more about pricing and marketing in some of the upcoming episodes here. So stay tuned for that. Katie, as always, it's a joy talking to you. You too, Sarah. Thanks for hanging out. I'll talk later. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Make Your Way. Show notes and a transcript for this episode can be found at katielinder.work slash podcasts. Make Your Way is part of the Radical Self-Trust podcast channel a collection of content dedicated to helping you seek self-knowledge, nurture your superpowers, playfully experiment, live your core values with intention, practice loving kindness toward yourself and others, and settle into your life's purpose. Learn more about the RST channel at katielinder.work slash podcasts. If you found this episode helpful, please also consider rating and or reviewing the show in iTunes. Thanks for listening.